What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football. It's Wednesday. That means it's myself, Matt Miller, and my boy, Connor Rogers. I'm still apparently coming off a cold that I've had since Baton Rouge, where I almost died. You've been in L.A. living the dream, probably uh, just a little sunburnt, maybe a little tired from all the surfing that you did. Uh, I'm coming back into the cold right now, and it, it kind of sucks going from 85 and sunny to 40 <laughs> here in New York and New Jersey. But uh, I, I can't complain because you get back from a little break, a little vacation, and a lot is going on in the NFL. And I think I think it's our favorite thing, Matt. Would you, would you agree with that, that trades and kind of free agency besides the actual first round of the draft is really our favorite thing to cover because it leads to so much discussion of what we love most. And that's team building and really decision-making in the NFL. It absolutely is, man. And we are going to do a lot of that today. As we sit here recording uh, on a Tuesday morning, we are one week away from the NFL trade deadline. And already we've seen a lot of moves going down. Amari Cooper has been traded. There's rumors of more trades coming that we might even hear about while we're sitting here recording. So it's going to be an NFL trade deadline heavy podcast for us today, which I think you guys are all going to enjoy. And we're going to put our stick to football spin on it, talking about how this affects the NFL draft, how this affects the team building of those clubs involved. Definitely the Dallas Cowboys and the Oakland Raiders as they pulled off a trade on Monday that surprised a lot of people. We're going to do stock watch like we always do. We're going to answer your draft on draft questions like we always do. Uh, before we jump into it, though, a little housekeeping. I want to remind everyone that November 10th in Joppa, Missouri, Mello and I are hosting that Missouri Southern Pitt State tailgate. So if you're within the area, definitely come out. We're going to have an area roped off, two tents, drinks, games, food. going to be a lot of fun, so make your way to chaos. Joplin. Chaos. A lot of chaos. Uh, in November 10th, if you, you want to come hang out, meet the crew, it'll be a good time. So definitely check that out. I'm excited to hear from you, man, because you went to one of my favorite places or favorite stadiums I've never been to. So I, maybe I'm saying that wrong. One of the stadiums I most want to get to, you got to go to the Rose Bowl and check that out. I mean, you didn't see the great games that maybe you hoped you were going to see, but you got to go to an iconic stadium. So I want to hear all about it. Yeah, it was really cool because when I booked that trip, the reason I booked it was it would be the last week of a four weekend stretch of covering college games live. And the three leading up to it were going to be competitive. We were at TCU, Iowa State, and then I went to Florida State, Miami, and then LSU, Georgia, which was obviously gigantic. I knew UCLA, Arizona would not be on that level, but there were still really premier players I wanted to see, and that was Khalil Tate when he was a Heisman front runner over summer, and he's hurt. Jalen Phillips, a guy that's not eligible, but for UCLA, that's there's a lot of expectations as a top-tier pass rusher. He's not playing, but I'll tell you what, Matt, getting away from the game and the scouting aspect of it, the trip was way more than I could have ever expected to be because that stadium, the Rose Bowl, where UCLA plays, it's a bucketless stadium. I mean, it's unbelievable. The second you get up to Pasadena and out of the car and just see the Rose Bowl when you're up in the press box or even down on the field and the mountains around it, some of the nicest people I've ever been around, I want to give UCLA specifically a shout out because Everyone was so accommodating. I've been places where they have tr they give you a hard time about going on the field, and, and that's such an important part of scouting, or they, they restrict where you go. UCLA, they feed you whatever you want to eat. It's not just press box food. They give you a voucher, and you go get whatever food you want. They're just so good about you going on the field. They're very welcoming. And like I said, if for any football fan, it doesn't matter the game. 
because the history and the scenes around the Rose Bowl was really special. Yeah, especially uh, as a Texas fan, I was texting you and being like, I can't believe you're in like the yep. the stadium that made Vince Young a superstar. And a lot of people think of the USC game, but it was actually the year before against Michigan where he had really his national coming out party that, that put him on the map. And for a lot of Texas fans, it was like, oh, man, next year, if we if everybody stays healthy, this is a team that has a chance to win a title. So very, very jealous of the fact that you got to hang out uh, in LA and you said there was like a sweet Vince Young picture somewhere. So as you walk up through, like take the escalators and it goes past the suites and like all the way eventually up to the top where the press boxes are, there's gigantic black and white pictures ordered by year. So it starts like from way, way back with events and listing the events underneath the pictures. So it's almost like in a way a football museum as you're making your way up to the top. That's amazing. It's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. And obviously, Los Angeles is beautiful. There's a lot more to do there than just go, go to the game. But uh, there was this guy, LeBron, that was making his Lakers home debut. So <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty important at the time. Yeah, for but sure. yeah, it was it was really cool. All right. Let's hop into these rankings that came out. You uh, were on the West Coast. We were uh, locked up in Missouri over the weekend watching a ton of football. And no surprise, Alabama stays on top. Clemson's at number two. Notre Dame's at three. Number four, probably the Biggest surprise, LSU, uh, and, and then number five, Michigan. Our Texas Longhorns right there at six. Georgia pops down to seven. Then you got Oklahoma, Florida at nine, and 10 UCF. And some of the mellow and I talked about on the Monday morning show while you were out uh, in Cali is how this playoff field is going to shake up. And the way we look at these rankings now, I mean, it really looks like we're going to have an SEC champ, Clemson, Notre Dame, if they can win out. And then you run into, is it a Big 12 champ uh, like Texas, or is it a team from the Big 10? Maybe that does end up being Michigan. Maybe Ohio State gets back in as a one-loss team. But what when you look at the picture right now, the field of these teams, uh, people have heard my take, they heard Mello's take. Really curious to see how you're looking at this picture of who are the four teams going to be when this is all said and done. I mean, obviously, I'm super confident in Alabama and Clemson right now. And uh, shout out to my boy, ETN. <laughs> for carrying yeah. that Clemson yeah. load. I love I love that you guys talked about him a lot on what was a really, really good Monday show. And it was cool when I woke up and, and you know, you guys had texted me and a couple people texted me uh, that college game day was talking about him and, uh, you know, he, a lot of love for him. And this is a really good Clemson team rounded out. I don't think they're going to lose Alabama. This is the best Alabama team I think I've ever seen. It, it feels like that when you talk about Tua having 25 touchdowns and 45 incompletions. <laughs> it's like that's unreal. You, you say that and it makes you laugh, but it's it's for real. And it's a loaded Alabama team. I know there's some players uh, regarding NFL draft prospects that you want to talk about later on the show besides just, you know, obviously Tua. But when you look at the three and the four spot, this is how I feel. I think Notre Dame is going to have a letdown. And listen, I'm not a Notre Dame hater. I grew up a Notre Dame fan as a kid. And I just Navy plays them tough. They got Navy coming up this weekend and then they got Northwestern and Florida State. Not really that concerned about them. I'm going to be at the Syracuse game at Yankee Stadium. I don't know. We've seen them hold on this year, whether it was against Pitt, you know, whether it was against Vanderbilt, who, you know, is gave him a tough run. I don't I'm not confident that Notre Dame can go undefeated and be a lock for this playoff. Now, if it happens, I'll admit that I was wrong. I just feel something is going to go wrong in these next five games 
for Notre Dame one time, not fall, not two or three times. Then you look at the, this is what's so interesting to me. If that happens, you can put the big 12 and the big 10 champ in. Now it gets really interesting when you look at Michigan, they've been super hot. Does Michigan look like a playoff team? I, I guess this year they are in that, in that scenario. But when you look at Shea Patterson and the offense, there's questions there, but at the end of the day, there's so many one loss teams. Do you believe LSU has a shot against Alabama, Matt? Like that's the, the that's big the elephant in the room right now. Like if LSU shocks the world and wins that game and those guys will play up with anyone. When we were there, they looked like they were on a different planet than Georgia, who was supposed to be way better than them. So uh, there's so many lingering questions. I think my, my key takes and predictions are that I'm not confident in Notre Dame being this lock in the top four. And I think that's going to open the door for potentially both a big 12 and big 10 team. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. And to answer your question, no, I don't see any way LSU beats Alabama. And that's not to take anything away from LSU. They're playing exceptionally well. And it's hard to even believe now that they lost to Florida, but that I just, Alabama's something different. Like you said, Tua has 25 touchdowns, 42 incompletions. He hasn't thrown a pick all year. And I don't, I still don't think he's taking a snap in the fourth quarter. So it's like they're this, and maybe an LSU fan could come in and say, well, that means they're untested. You know, they haven't faced adversity. Are they going to be able to power through a bad game? And, and that's fair. It is fair. They do have Nick Saban as head coach. So it's not like this is his first rodeo or something that he's going to be new to. But that game, November 3rd, uh, my girlfriend was trying to schedule birthday parties for the kids. And I was like, yeah, it can't be November 3rd. A little no busy shot. that day. Pick, a little busy. Pick a new, pick a new birthday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How about November fourth? Let's do it Sunday uh, because that is going to be. Uh, it'll probably be the most watched college football game of the year that in, until the national championship game. But it is. It's going to be fascinating. I'm very excited for Michigan Ohio State, a game that we're going to be at because now I think if they both roll into that as a one loss team, not only is there you know, Big Ten championship game implications, but there's playoff implications there. So that game uh, is going to be very, very wild as well. I do want to quickly shout out the Los Angeles Rams. And this is like very self-serving of me, but you and I, you and I were, I think, the two highest people I know on Jared Goff back in the day. Without a doubt. And we both loved Todd Gurley back in the day as well. And it's so funny to remember that just two years ago, People were saying that Todd Gurley was not good and that Jared Goff was a bust. Think of how different the world is now just two years later where Gurley has more points than the Buffalo Bills and Goff looks like one of the best young quarterbacks of football and they're 7-0 and right now. So it, it's amazing. I don't know that this team is built for long-term success because there's going to be a lot of big salaries there, but I'm very much enjoying the run while they're on it. I am too, because it's taught us a couple of things. One, evaluating prospects after one or two years is batshit crazy. That's <laughs> yes. like the bit. And like we all like, I mean, I'm not going to act like I'm guilty of it because now do will I celebrate if a rookie that I liked does well? Of course, but it doesn't mean the evaluation's over. I think the second thing, and this is so prevalent in the NFL last night, especially after you look at Monday Night Football with those New York Giants, coaching in the NFL matters more than ever. And the Rams went out and said, we don't care that this guy's young. We don't care if people believe he's not ready. We don't care if there's going to be players in the locker room that are older than him. They took 
a roll the dice, a swing for the fences move on Sean McVay. And he's a top three coach in the NFL right now. I, I really believe it. And I think he's taken them to the next level. He's gotten the most out of Jared Goff. He's gotten the most out of Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley every single week is scoring multiple times and doing everything, whether it's catching the ball, running the ball, pass protection. That's why you draft a guy in the first round. Yeah. So, I mean, he McVay has made Les Snead look so good in all of this because he's maximized not only the players he's taken before he got there, but the trade market. The Rams are showing you everything that is the modern NFL today. It's when you get a quarterback on a rookie contract, do everything you can to put pieces around him to maximize the salary cap and capitalize on yes. the trade market. And to That's, that end, I think we see the Chiefs do the same thing, dude. Maybe I, not. I completely agree. Maybe not in the next week, but this offseason, I think we see the Chiefs do the same thing because you realize, just like the Rams did, oh, shit, we have this really good young quarterback and we have a really good young running back and we have a coach that can win. Let's just load up. Let's go balls out to try to to stock this roster to win a championship while we have this window. And then you rebuild the team. You have a, a, a new iteration of that team on Jared Goff's second contract. And then you you continue to, okay, this is what we have. This is how we can build this team. I, I You're right. Les Need was a guy that two years ago I thought was going to be fired. I really did. I, I thought has missed too many picks. And then here comes Sean McVay and Wade Phillips. Let's give him some credit. And this team now looks like a model of success. So that's a great point. And it, it is going to be fun. I, let's Please, God, let's not talk about Are they going to go undefeated? Is this one of the greatest teams of all time? Let's just enjoy the run and watch what Jared Goff and these guys are doing. All right. As we talked about earlier in the show, pretty big trade this week. The Raiders, everyone laughed at them. When the rumors came out, they said they want a first-round pick for Amari Cooper, I, including myself. I said, no, no fucking way. <laughs> the Cowboys answered the price. And, and you, you know, we always do scouts buzz or NFL buzz every single week. This entire trade deadline conversation is going to be buzz-related. So buckle up. Get yourself ready. I think it's going to be a fun NFL trade deadline. But we got to start with these Raiders, Matt. There's so much going on with them right now, but let's lead with the trade. I mean, this is the first time I think we can applaud John Gruden, right? It is. And I'll tell you, it's funny because I had heard the same thing. And so that's when people ask you, hey, are the Raiders going to get a one for Amari Cooper? You're like, no fucking way, because you hear yep. <laughs> you hear things. And that was going to be my insider buzz this week. I had heard the Eagles offered a two, and there were some other teams involved with uh, trying to do a combination of picks, you know, maybe a three and a five, things like that. And so you're like, it's just like when Khalil Mack got traded. You keep hearing no one's going to give this up. No one's going to give it up. And then someone comes in and surprises you with Khalil Mack. The Raiders gave back a two, which is why they were able to get two ones. But with Amari Cooper, I was told specifically uh, yesterday afternoon that the the Cowboys just panicked. And it's funny, if you go back and listen to the Monday morning show, I said something about that. Like, if the Cowboys lose, I could see them panicking and making a deal like this. And that's basically exactly what happened. Like, they're tired of this offense not looking good. So they give up the picks. And it's funny, you can watch on Twitter and see the talking points that the team sends out, basically. And 
you, you and I have been on the receiving end of that stuff too before where it's like, oh, well, he's only 24 years old and that's the same age as Calvin Ridley. And so you're giving up a first round pick for a sure thing, not, you know, not a gamble and he's inexpensive. So it's funny to see that, you know, whether it's Jerry Jones or Steven Jones or Will McClay, they're getting these talking points out to reporters that this is a safe deal. And I think it is a somewhat safe deal for Dallas, but the thing is, he has to produce. And for the Raiders, let's talk about them first. Like you said, this is the first deal that John Gruden has made where I'm like, damn, that's that's a good deal to get a first for a player you were never going to re-sign. Might as well. Might as well get rid of him because you weren't going to try to bring him back at $20 million a year or whatever he's going to get on the market. So why not get a first-round pick, especially when you're completely tearing this team down to rebuild it? Exactly. I think when you look at this deal, and we've we've laughed at them before, but something I said is that for John Gruden, if there's a way to defend him, he's working in a 10-year window or on a 10-year contract, so a way, way bigger window than how us and the fans and the rest of the media analyze it, it which is a 6-12 to 12 month window. Gruden's not sitting there and thinking about anything that happened in Oakland before he got there this time. He's saying, I want a team a certain way. Now, I'm not going to defend trading Khalil Mack. There's no way to do it. I don't care what you got back. I would have kept that guy no matter what. But if you believe that Amari Cooper is not a part of your future and you felt there was a disconnect there and you're going to put him on the market because you're not going to extend him beyond this year, you got maximum value. They got it. You got a round one pick. Now, like you said, Matt, this the rate the Cowboys did kind of in a sense blow everyone out of the water, right? Like they were the only team to come up and offer a true first round pick. There was definitely a handful of teams that I think would have went to a second round pick or were willing to make, work out a more complex deal with Oakland, whether it was picks coming back with Amari for a higher pick. When it comes down to it, though, this is a great move. If you're the Raiders, don't tread water, right? Right. Either be a t- rebuilding team and blow this thing up and take all the backlash early while you're sitting on a 10-year, $100 million contract, or go with the core that you inherited, which they did not. They're sitting there now and saying, okay, we have three picks in the 2019 class, two picks in the 2020 class, which leads me to question, what is the future for Derek Carr in Oakland? Yeah, I think that's something I've been asked a lot by fans. I've been asked a lot by uh, some other teams. Uh, here is the the best that I can put together uh, from the information out there about Derek Carr is that uh, Carr is Gruden's guy. He's not trading him. Now, this could be straight bullshit that people are feeding me that, hey, we don't want it to get out that, that we don't, we've lost faith in our quarterback or whatever that might be. But I've been told throughout this process and, and a lot within the past few days that Derek Carr is John Gruden's guy. He believes he can build around him, which is why they were trading off other guys who were going to become expensive. Cleo Mack, Amari Cooper, Carl Joseph was on the trade blog. They want to get rid of those guys who would be maybe expensive or not part of the plan moving forward so that they can truly build a round car. Now, like you said, they have three picks in the 2019 first round. They had two picks in the 2020 first round. That all sounds great, right? But remember when Cleveland had three picks in the first round? The important thing is you still have to draft well. Like Got a hit. It, it's amazing to me uh, that people will be like, you should trade Derek Carr. We should cut Marcus Mariota. That's great. Where are you going to get a quarterback? Or where are you going to get one? 
in the 2019 draft, you're not going to get one. So you're going to punt on a quarterback for a year and trot out A.J. McCarron for 2019 and then draft Jake Fromm or Tua or Justin Herbert in 2020. Like there's you can't you can't put all your eggs in that basket that's two years away. So this idea of we have a good quarterback, but he's not Tom Brady and he's not Aaron Rodgers and he's not Pat Mahomes. So we better get rid of him. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes you got to look around the room and realize that, yeah, this quarterback's not great, but he's better than anything else we're going to have. So we have to build a team around him that can win, which I think is what the Raiders will try to do, to look at what Derek Carr can do. And he's taken them to the playoffs. He's been a good quarterback, but now you've got to build the right team around him. And I think that is what they're trying to do. So put a bow on this thing. We have to, because now Raiders fans want to know, right? Like this is a lost season. You're looking towards the offseason. You're looking towards the future. What is the dream scenario for the Oakland Raiders over these next two years? And for me, it starts with any way possible to get Nick Bosa this year. Right. I don't care if you have to package some of those picks. I don't care if you lose this thing out. You got to get to number one and get Nick Bosa. And I truly do believe in 2020, you got to start looking towards Tua. I, I could see that. I absolutely could. I think you're right. The dream scenario this year is uh, hopefully you continue to lose, right? And you have the number one overall pick and you can draft Nick Bosa without having to, to package anything. And then with, you know, that pick that you're getting from Dallas, maybe you do get a receiver like a Nikhil Harry, who I know some people aren't as high on, or maybe you get a Marquise Brown. You know, there are some solid receivers out there in the market. Uh, and then I, I think you could also be with that third pick, from Chicago, which right now would be in the 20s, you can look for a linebacker, you know, someone like a Mac Wilson or uh, another safety because Carl Joseph has really not lived up to expectations as a strong safety. I mean, at free safety, you could uh, look to get younger with someone like Taylor Rapp. Now, I, I know we've been asked this question on, uh, for draft on draft, and we'll get into it deeper at that point. But the one thing is 2019 is not thought to be a very good draft class. That's the only issue. So it's one of those things like, oh, we have three first round picks. It's not a great draft class. So completely restocking in the in this draft is going to be a hard thing to do. But I'm with you that the, the first order of business is finding a way to get Nick Bosa because they have some interior guys. P.J. Hall has looked good. Maurice Hurst has looked good. Arden Keys look pretty good on the outside as well. If you can combine that now with Nick Bosa on the other side, you, you have a strength. You have a front four that a lot of people in the NFL will be afraid of. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Let's assume after this season, John Gruden and Reggie McKenzie mutually part ways. Give me three guys that you would like to see be the guy picking players for John Gruden. Oh, man, I've wrote about this not that far back. And I, I have your article pulled yeah. up right now. And, so and I want to narrow. <laughs> I'll, re I'll read the names quick, and then I want you to narrow in half. You had, uh, okay, Mike Borgonzi, Chiefs Director of Football Ops. Nick Cassero, Patriots Director of Player Personnel. Ed Dodds, the Colts Assistant GM. Joe Douglas from the Eagles, another personnel guy. Brian Heimerdinger, the Jets VP of Player Personnel. Will McClay, Cowboys VP of Player Personnel. Elliot Wolf from the Browns. Well, I mean, Narrow let's, that be, list down. let's be honest. You can cut that list down real quick. Uh, Mike Borgonzi, yeah, that's an interesting name. I think going from the Chiefs to the Raiders, people would burn his house down. So that's not going to happen. Nick Casario, not leaving New England to work for John Gruden. Ed Dodds, maybe. There's a possibility. Joe Douglas, same thing. I don't think he would leave Philly 
uh, to work under a head coach that's going to have a lot of power. This is going to be a situation like Andy Reid with Brett Veach, where you know, Reid kind of says, hey, let's do this, and Veach executes. And it does a lot of the scouting. So it, it's a job that's not a traditional GM role. I don't think Joe Douglas would leave for that. Now, Brian Heimerdinger has already been rumored for that job. We heard it all summer that if John Gruden were to make a deal, uh, a move to get rid of Reggie McKenzie, that Heimerdinger would be someone uh, where there's some interest there. He's young. He could handle, I think, that side of things of the go execute the vision and scout he the He made players. the trade to go up and get, well, really to move up from six to three, which ultimately led to the Jets getting Sam Darnold. Right. So, yeah. And I mean, I, I've heard before that he was the guy pounding the table for Jamal Adams, which looks like a pretty good move at this point. So I think he's an interesting name. Elliot Wolf is a really interesting one just because of you know, the connections that his dad has um, to so many people in the NFL, you know, being the longtime architect of the Packers. And I think there's even some people in Green Bay now who are like looking at what Cleveland's doing and being like, why did we let this guy go? His dad, uh, Elliot's dad, Ron, started his career with the Raiders. So there might be something there where it's like, okay, maybe you want to go back to where your dad started out and, you know, figure things out down that road of let's get this team back on track. Um, He would be, I I think Wolf and Heimerdinger are probably the two most interesting names for that job that are realistic options. Two young guys, too. Yeah, which is what you want. And they need, the Raiders need that. So I I totally get that. Um, Okay, we do got to talk about the other side of it. Obviously, the Cowboys. I don't think this deal is as bad as some people reacted to. I think it was still shocking because I'm a believer in Amari Cooper. I think Amari Cooper can be a very good wide receiver in this league. I think he actually fits pretty well for Dak Prescott. I'm not really a fan of going all in on Dak Prescott right now. But at the end of the day, if and also this goes back to a guy you just brought up, Will McClay. If you have Will McClay sitting there and he's telling you, well, I don't think we're going to get a better wide receiver than this in round one of next year's draft, then you make the trade. That's my argument for it if I had to make one. So I do think Dallas overpaid, but at the same time, it doesn't make it a terrible trade. I I have a couple thoughts on that. Uh, Number one, you're absolutely right. You're not going to get a receiver this good in the draft, uh, especially early impact, which is what the Cowboys need. Like they don't need somebody who's going to be good in three years. They need somebody who could play right now. And I think with that, you go back to those talking points we, we mentioned. He's 24 years old. And I think you see a guy who has not been as explosive early, the last year as he was early in his career. Hopefully, they can get back some of that because he is still young. He's a good route runner. Yes, he drops too many passes for my liking, but I think he's a good fit for what Dak Prescott does. And like you said, Connor, the, the value is maybe they gave up too much to give up a one. But if he jump starts this offense, no one's going to give a shit. If it was a one or a two or a two and a four, whatever it might have been, just give up the give up the pick and go all in on this guy and say, hey, we need Amari Cooper. We need a route runner. We need someone who can win physical matchups because we don't have Des Bryant anymore. We believe that Dak Prescott's a good enough intermediate thrower Cooper's good enough to ball in his hands. This is going to be a nice marriage for us. It's going to open things up for Ezekiel Elliott. To us, that's worth a first-round pick. And I don't know of any other receiver out there that you could have got in this trade market that has the potential of Cooper. I mean, this is a guy. He got 72 passes as a rookie, 83 as a sophomore. And then the Raiders fell apart in 2017, and his numbers dipped a little bit. So I still think that there's 
he's a good enough receiver. I don't think he's a one. You know, he's not a Julio Jones or an Odo Beckham or an Antonio Brown or Michael Thomas. He's not one of those guys, but he's good enough to be the best receiver in Dallas. And I'll say this, Matt, big picture that for whatever reason, I haven't seen anyone bring up yet. Washington is four and two. The Eagles and Cowboys are three and four. The Giants are a train wreck. This division is wide open right now. What would be the biggest need on the Cowboys list? Wide receiver. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. So now you have a chance and you have a team that is, you hope, like you just said, in the running. I mean, that division is wide open and the Cowboys have been good enough in spots. They've been surprisingly good at times this year. So why not take a chance on a guy that you feel like can completely open up your offense? And we just saw Zeke Elliott's worst game as a pro because teams are just stacking the box nonstop. So it, the the Cowboys are still very much in it. And I think that's why you make that deal. Uh, a team that's not in it, they're as far out of it as you could possibly be after seven <laughs> weeks. The Arizona, Arizona Cardinals, uh, they have only scored 92 points this year. Uh, I believe that is the lowest in the NFL. It's definitely the lowest in the NFC and not even, it's not even close. Like the next, next worst team is, is far away from them. So they need a lot of things that you, it's amazing. You have Josh Rosen, David Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, and you can't score points. You have in your notes here, blow it up. And I'm with you, man, blow it up. Pat Pete apparently wants out. He's 28 years old. He has two years left on his contract. Get something for him while you can and while he still has value before you just lose him and don't get anything back more than like a third round comp pick. I would trade him. I know for a fact that teams have called about Buda Baker and the Cardinals won't do it. I think you have to consider it. Teams have called about Hassan Reddick, who's not getting snaps in that defense. You have to consider it. I think at this part, you might not get back exactly what you want in some of these trade pieces, but it would be better to get something as opposed to nothing. And I think you look at that team right now, they have to just scrap it and start over. And to put it in perspective, if that's how many points they've scored, Todd Gurley's pretty close to matching their right? total. Yeah. So he, yeah. So that's how bad they've been. Now this is the problem in these scenarios. This is a front office and even a coaching staff. It doesn't matter. That's their first year. They are probably sweating for their jobs a little bit. And is the, what's the right, decision for the organization versus what's the right decision for the people coaching and fighting for their jobs. If you trade Chandler Jones and Patrick Peterson and David Johnson, this team is probably going to lose out. They might do it anyway, but you trade those three. This is a team that should lose out. Now, if you lose out, it gives you all the excuses in the world to let everyone go and start over. And it's easier to make a hire when you're sitting there with a number one pick and all these extra picks that you've collected. So that's where it becomes so difficult. I'm sitting here and saying, blow this thing up, trade everyone, start over, do the what the Raiders are doing. That's the thing here, because I think there is value for Patrick Peterson. And I know you've talked about, but you've talked to, you know, a lot of people around the league teams that would be interested in him, which I, you know, I do want to revisit in a second. But when you're in Arizona, I mean, face the facts, you got Josh Rosen there, who I think is going to be a very good NFL quarterback if you could figure this thing out. You got to have assets to build around him. And I think Chandler Jones and Patrick Peterson have quietly been two of the best players in their position groups in the NFL for the last three years. But nobody cares because what's gone on there. Yeah, it's just I mean, they've wasted Larry Fitzgerald. So it's tough to see in stomach, but I'm with you. Blow it up. Start over. 
especially you're not you're not overtaking the Rams anytime soon. So you got you have to get players in there to to make this team competitive. Speaking of Pat Peterson, uh, a couple landing spots that I've heard, and, and we could just touch on these quickly. Obviously, it's out there that he wants to go to New Orleans. That's no secret. New England. Yep. New England's uh, been mentioned. Kansas City has been mentioned. I, I don't know about the salary being a fit there, but it's definitely something that's been talked about. And then the Philadelphia Eagles, a team that I think they are going to try to be aggressive. I mean, like I said, I'd heard they offered a two for Amari Cooper. I think they're going to try to be pretty aggressive at the deadline. So just keep an eye on those teams. If somehow the asking price were to come down a little bit, I think there's a chance that we can maybe see him moved. Two more players that have been in the news everywhere. Obviously, Le'Veon Bell. No one knows what's happening, why, you know, if he's coming back or not. What I can safely say is both sides want a resolution to this with that resolution being moving on from one another. <laughs> I know on, on Bell's side, him and his agent want out because they want to get paid. And if you're the Steelers, they're happy with James Conner and quite tired of Le'Veon Bell and tired of this situation hovering around the team. Now, what's difficult with the Bell situation is for a team that acquires him, they can't extend him beyond this year. So you're taking on a potential rental risk. And another issue is he can negotiate his salary for this year. And him and his agent will want to make the money back that they've missed while he's been sitting out. So it's one of those where the player and the team want the same, but the market around them is not doing them any favors. So I don't know if we're going to get a solution to that anytime soon. Demarius Thomas is another one. I think, Matt, and you correct me if you feel differently here. I just think teams have seen the writing on the wall with Thomas that he has declined over the last year and a half where he was an elite wide receiver. Now he's just a good one. And I don't know how much really he brings back in a trade. Yeah, I've had a lot of people ask me like, hey, what about Demarius Thomas? I'm like, why? What, what What are you trading for? Who is he putting over the top right, right now? Nobody. You know, you're a Jets fan. You guys have, have poked around at some receivers. You want Demarius Thomas? That doesn't fit what you're trying to do. Like, you're not a team that's close that needs an old receiver. Um, Dallas exactly. might have been like the one spot where he would have kind of made some sense. So uh, I just don't see it, um, especially like with Cortland Sutton on the, uh, coming up. Like the, that's probably a guy that's just going to get cut after the year and maybe tries to latch on somewhere else. But I don't see a team like, I mean, the Colts, maybe. But again, you're like two and five right now. You're not trying to make big trades to get back in the running. You're trying to keep those draft picks so that Chris Ballard can go do his job. So I don't see Demarius Thomas getting moved. Uh, Another name that I heard teams had called on, Landon Collins. Teams are at least poking around with the Giants. Like, hey, would you get rid of this guy? It sounds like they are not interested in trading him. So not going to see him move. The one team that uh, I know fans would have freaked out if this had happened. I've heard the Chiefs are going to be, again, try to be aggressive. I'm not guaranteeing a trade is going to happen, but I think Andy Reid and Brett Veach are going to try hard to be aggressive to make some moves to shore up that defense because they do believe they can make a run this year, and it's hard to argue with that. I mean, they've lost one game, and it was to the Patriots, and they barely lost it. So I think if there's if there's any move out there that can improve their defense, they're going to try to get it done. Yeah, and when you look at the Chiefs right now, we talked about the Rams so much earlier in this show. The Chiefs are not that far away from the strategy where you got a quarterback on his rookie contract, oh, an elite quarterback. I mean, let's call it what it is. Pat Mahomes is is incredible. He's here to stay. He's everything you could ask for in a franchise quarterback. They got pieces around him, but defensively, they need some help. They are very far away on the defense, defensive side of the ball compared to the Rams. 
You talk about two teams that could meet in the Super Bowl. I don't think it's crazy at all. Right. But I, I do think Kansas City is a team that, uh, assuming the right move comes along, they need to make one at this deadline. All right, we are back. Let's do some draft on draft questions. I should crack open a man. If you could get like a hot toddy in a can, I would drink the <laughs> shit out of that right now. Uh, I was at, when I was out in L.A., uh, this girl that was at the table with us ordered an Irish coffee at like the most random. It's like 85 and sunny in L.A. Yeah. And it was like three o'clock and she was like, yeah, I have an Irish coffee. And I, I like respected it, but I was so confused. You gave her the head nod like. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was really All bizarre. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah, I got to do something. Maybe a gallon of Moscow Mule would help. Uh, that I think always does a job for me. To me, like it makes sense that alcohol would kill bacteria. So, like, that's well, yeah, my they always say, "What is it like?" Um, a shot of whiskey, and then you do like the cayenne. Yeah. pepper and like yeah all that that's what they claim yeah i mean i, I, I can't I, claim it works we used to make our own cough syrup and it would be like shot of whiskey shot of honey shot of lemon juice heat yep. it up so that's probably what i'm doing there's after your, the show today there's your stick to football cookbook <laughs> of the week right. oh, hot toddy there it is uh all right a lot of questions this week thank you guys for being awesome harry gas Coney, guess, I guess, I don't know how you say his name. Uh, what coordinators? The gas man. <laughs> yeah, the gas man, Harry. What coordinators are in line for a head coaching job? So this great question. This is a weird year in the coaching cycle where a lot of GMs, a lot of owners feel like the best candidates have kind of been picked up in recent years. So uh, as far as like coordinators that uh, whose names have been hot, Matt LaFleur, who's the Titans offensive coordinator now, was a name that a lot of people were uh, kind of liking, but they've struggled offensively this year. So I think that could hurt him. I don't see, I mean, I guess John D. Philippe maybe is going to be a hot name just kind of by default, but there's judging not by that your name. tone, judging by your tone, Matt, you're going to agree with my take. Don't hire one. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. I would. There's no core. There's no coordinator right now that I would hire for a head coaching job. I would look at the college level, and I know these names have been floated out there. I think Albert Breer floated them out, but we've talked about them on this show for a while as well, a really long time. If you can get Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma, go for it. Yeah. If you can get Matt Campbell from Iowa State. That's my dude, man. Yes. Right? That's who you roll the dice on. Guys that can build a program and overachieve with lesser talent. I'm just not... I don't think any of these coordinators are that are being talked about right now, especially Filippo is a guy where Jets fans love this guy. I mean, they love him. Not just this year. This has been like three or four years now. I watched the game plan from the Vikings against the Jets, who are missing their most of their defense. And it's not to take away from the Vikings, who are an awesome team. I'm just not overwhelmed by the game he calls, where I'm sitting there saying this is an elite play caller that should be the head coach of a team. Just because you're a even a good play caller or a good quarterback developer does not always translate to being a great head coach. I would steal a head coach from the college ranks and I would leave it at that. I'm just right now. There's no coordinator that jumps out to me. That's deserving of that kind of job. I agree. There's really not. I mean, I, I was scrolling through. I keep notes of all this stuff. Jim Schwartz is maybe the one, but you've seen what he's done before. And I'm so tired of the, like just retread, you know, assistant coaches where, I mean, maybe Dave Taub finally gets a shot. He's the chief special teams coordinator. Maybe yep, a guy a lot like people that. like him. Maybe he finally gets a shot to be a head coach. But otherwise, I'm going after Matty Campbell. I'm calling Lincoln Riley. Probably calling uh, David Shaw, Chris Peterson. Like, if I had an opening, I would probably go to the college game or, you know, 
spend a hell of a lot of time and money trying to find out who these smart young people in the NFL are right now that maybe aren't even coordinators yet. Maybe you have to go like a Mike McCarthy route and hire a quarterback's coach to be a, a head coach. And like I said with Matt Nagy, maybe the Bears hired him a year too early. But when it's a guy like that, like you need to get him. You don't wait yeah. a- until it's apparent to the whole world that he's going to be a head coach. You have to get him now. Yeah, this show was uh, big Matt Nagy fans, and I think you've seen a lot of the positives early on. You know, it hasn't been a perfect season for the Bears, but you're seeing a team trending in the right direction. So, all right, that was a great question from Harry. Thanks for shooting that one over on Instagram. The next one from Jacob DeLong from Twitter. Could you see the Giants trading a first-round pick for Carr? Gruden could target Tua or Fromm and have his guy. Yeah, I mean, I can see it. I actually, in my article that came out Tuesday morning, I floated the idea of, you know, the Raiders should trade Carr to the Giants. The Giants should trade Manning to the Jaguars. It makes I don't think everyone's happy. It's, yeah. I don't think Carr brings back a one. But you're also hearing this from the same guy that said, I don't think Amari Cooper brings back a one <laughs> like a week ago. Yeah. So who the hell knows what the trade market value is right now? I don't think it's crazy at all. If this is a Raiders team, it's like, hey, we want to stockpile picks. And they don't see Carr. As the future, there's no one's sure of that. We've seen a lot out there about, you know, the crying after the injury, which is kind of bullshit. Like, Derek Carr's a a tough dude. I don't know. I think that's just low. I I think his teammates do respect him. It's just, it's a matter of talent. It's not a respect thing. I mean, the Giants are one and six. As of today, they would have the number two pick in the draft. Do you want to trade the number two pick in the draft for Derek Carr? That's what it comes down to. So no, I'd rather have Ed Oliver. Yeah. So what are you going to do? What are you, what are you, you going to trade? I, so that's the thing. Like uh, in theory, yeah, you would trade a first rounder for Derek Carr, right? He's a sure thing. You know what you're getting, but should the giants do it? Like, I don't want to give up the number two pick in the draft for a quarterback uh, as badly as they need one. They need one so badly, but on a similar note, the giants could take Ed Oliver or Devin white or Jonah Williams and say, all right, we're going to give Kyle Oletta a fourth-round pick out of Richmond. We're going to give him and a veteran the 2019 season and just see what they can do. And if it doesn't work, ah, fuck it then. You know what? We'll draft to a number one overall in 2020 and, and have our guy. All right, this next one, next up from Michael Stockton. Is this upcoming draft a good one to have three first-round picks? No, nope. I know your thoughts on this. <laughs> nope, it's not. Sorry, it's not. And I, I know I said that earlier. Uh, I, I've... I've written a couple articles already this season where scouts are like, this draft sucks. I mean, there was one dude called me. Uh, he was like getting in his rental car out of school and he called me and was like, do you know where any players are? Cause this draft sucks. It was like, if you need a tight end or a D lineman, it's good. If you need a quarterback, running back receiver, not great. So uh, people are not excited. And especially about the quarterback position. Uh, if Justin Herbert goes back to Oregon, People are so down on this quarterback's class, and some team will invent a number one quarterback. Melo and I talked about this, whether it's Ryan Tannehill, EJ Manuel, Blake Bortles. There will be a QB1 invented between now and April. One will yes. go early in the draft. Whether they should or not, it will happen. I I don't, if Justin Herbert doesn't come out, I'm not going to have a quarterback graded as round one based on what I've seen thus far. A QB1 invented is my new favorite thing. Yeah. <laughs> like he was made in a lab. Uh, I'll say this, and this isn't exactly a scorching hot take, as you could say it most years. It's a good draft to have a top top 10 pick. Like if if two of those picks for the Raiders 
our top 10 picks and you walk out, say they can't get Bosa at one, you take Ed Oliver at two, and then you get like Ja'Kai Polite at seven or something, your defensive line is rebuilt and reloaded and absolutely stacked. But once you get, you trickle outside maybe the top eight, top 10, top 12, it gets pretty ugly pretty quickly, Matt. I I think that's the key issue here is that if you're going to be bad this year, be really bad. Yeah. And our guy, Sam Moore, next question. He's also asking, he says, hey, Matt, with the lousy quarterback class in 2019, do you think the Raiders could move Carr to the Dolphins or Giants and add another first or maybe second round pick like we talked about before, Sammy? Like you could. You could definitely try to. The thing is, who is going to be your quarterback? I mean, you guys have, I think, A.J. McCarron's your backup quarterback. So it, it just becomes a matter of that. And then it, I'm not going to just say that the Jets tanked, but I feel like the Jets tanked trying the same philosophy. Like, oh, we have Ryan Fitzpatrick. They tank right. And then, <laughs> exactly, they won too many games. And they had to eventually trade up to get a quarterback. That's the risk you run. Because the NFL is so unpredictable that... Okay, the Raiders can trade Derek Carr and say, you know what? We might not come out and say we're tanking, but we're definitely tanking in 2019. You just never know what's going to happen. It might be a year where you have an 0-16 team like the Browns did where you can be bad and still not get the first pick and still not get your guy. So it's it's a good theory. There's just so much risk involved with trying to do that. All right, this one from John Chaney. Ja'Kai Polite and Josh Allen have been the best edge guys in the SEC this year. Who goes first and why? Well, I'll say this. Both will go in the first round. Yeah, I, I truly believe that. I've heard that. Polite will go before Josh Allen. And that's just because Polite, who's the underclassman of the two, has special ability. He has the things you can't teach. The bend, the dip, his ability to put his foot in the ground and, and turn like that. I think a really good example, and, and Polite's not on this level, but he's not that far. When Von Miller had a sack about a week ago that was clipped out everywhere, It looked like I think our buddy John Ledyard said it's like running full speed under a table. The way he can dip and keep his body that flat and go full speed. Polite shows some of that. And I think teams will value his upside over a guy like Allen that's been extremely productive for two years now and is a little more maybe a little more disciplined or complete player or experienced player. They'll value Polite's upside. And I do, too to be honest with you. I'm actually going to go the other way. Um, I think that Josh Allen's size and athleticism will bump him up. Just because, like, I love Ja'Kai Polite. He's 6'2", 245. And that could could hurt him. Right, very Melvin Ingram. Josh Allen's 6'5", 260. So I think just, as we've seen before, like, size can be the difference maker. I have them graded. It does. I have them graded almost (laughs) identically, man. Uh, They're both... I think Polite's 19 on my board and Allen's 21. Like they're both right there. And that's, that's probably, I need to probably bump both guys up, but I I do agree. They're both going to be first round picks. They both look like they're going to be good players. This is a crazy good edge class. Otherwise they would be higher. I mean, you got Nick Bosa, Montez Sweat, Brian Burns, Cleveland Farrell, and there's some really good edge players in this class that are probably keeping both those guys down a little bit lower than they would have been, you know, if this were uh, not such a loaded edge class. All right, the next one from our buddy Patrick Chamberlain always sends us a lot of really great questions, so thanks, Patrick. We appreciate it, man. You guys have talked a lot about some younger, non-draft-eligible safeties like Grant Delpit, but can you give a rundown on some of the top safeties who are actually eligible? Oh, man, it's not a great safety class, It's really, at least from what I've seen thus far. 
Uh, Taylor Rapp at Washington is probably a I do second like round yeah. guy. Uh, you got Jonathan Abram at Mississippi State, probably a second round guy. Lucas Dennis at Boston College. Uh, Jaquan Johnson, the guy you saw at Miami, who's a yep. good, probably day two free safety prospect. But overall, it doesn't look like it's going to be this just like dominant safety class. I mean, Florida has Chauncey Gardner Johnson, who's I think a probably around three type guy. Brandon Jones from Texas could come out early and be a round four type guy. It, Andrew Wingard at Wyoming's a round four guy. Like it, it's just not not a great great safety class this year. Now, it could be very soon with some of the guys like Stearns and Delpit coming up. Yeah, we've been spoiled recently. When you look at Derwin James, Jamal Adams, Malik Hooker. I mean, and you can go on and on. I mean, the list goes on. There's been so much good safety talent over the years. I don't see the top flight safety this year right now. I think Chauncey Gardner shows a lot of promise in coverage. He can't tackle anyone, but <laughs> I mean, the league is trending towards where you need cover guys in space. Yeah. So, you know, the, he'll be. Yeah. The one I always forget to mention because he's so young is Deontay Thompson. Like he's very, oh, very yes. good. But I mean, I honestly forget about him because he's he's so young, but he's a top five player for me in this class. Yeah, I, I guess I should take that back. I mean, when you look at Thompson, if he does declare this is his first yeah. year starting, all those Alabama guys do tend to leave for the most part. Uh, I think Thompson's the closest thing to the, you know, the talent of like Derwin, Jamal, Malik. But when it comes down to it, I think Thompson's in the top five because once again, this is not our favorite draft class. But I do think he's a very, very good player. Like I said earlier on a couple of shows ago, the single high range ability is like, wow, that's, you know, not Earl Thomas necessarily the same level, but what Earl Thomas does. So Thompson has a lot of promise. I think uh, if you're looking for the guy to headline the class, it's him. I, I like that you led with rap because I think rap will be one of those players taken on day two and be a 10 year starter where everyone's like, man, Taylor raps just rock solid. Yeah. He, he can is. run, he can hit yep. He's smart. He's big. He's tough. So it's that's a really good question. It's a position group that we're going to talk about a ton over these next couple months. But those are the top names to know right now. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's just such a weird class this year. I even like this is the time your agents really start hitting you up and being like, hey, who do you like? What have you heard about this guy? What have you heard about that guy? And it's like, man, I don't think I like any of these players, just to be honest. Like it's, it's just not a good year. Uh, all right. Our buddy on Reddit Sports Fiend. What are the top three college football stadiums you've not been to yet? that you want to visit for a tailgate and enjoy the real-time game atmosphere. This is so easy for me. The Rose Bowl is number one. I want to go to Clemson, and I want to go to Virginia Tech. Those are my three. I think I agree with your... I mean, I just did the Rose Bowl. I haven't done Clemson or Virginia Tech, and I think they're right at the top of the list there. I would really like to go to Athens, honestly. And we've talked about this. Athens is perfect because it's an amazing game day atmosphere, tailgating, all that. And after you can extend the long weekend and go to Savannah. So there's uh there's some some personal reasons of why that could be such a cool trip as a whole. Yeah. I think game day atmosphere. I mean, you look at just the entrances between Clemson and Virginia Tech and just the crowd and the stadium atmosphere. It's hard to disagree with those. I'm really looking forward to going to Columbus. Uh, it'll be nice to check that one off the list in a couple yeah. weeks. And so, the, the only reason yeah. Michigan isn't on my list is I don't know if I want to deal with that many people. It's a lot. And like <laughs> Texas was like 112,000. And I was like, this is a lot of people in one spot. 
And it was almost just like it maybe because it was so hot in Austin that day. And it was like, God, it felt like we walked about eight miles. I don't know. I would do the big house maybe if it was like a VIP thing where you're like getting chartered in, you know, and it's not, well, let's park so in Detroit bougie. and walk over. Uh, then I would be okay with it. Yeah. I, I mean, and it's it is a great bougie. question. I don't care. It is. <laughs> I actually, we haven't done this in a while. Our listeners leave an iTunes review this week of what your top three college tailgates Ooh. or stadiums that you would like to visit. I think that should be our iTunes review. I'm also week. here for if somebody would say the top three they've done, like maybe you've done a great tailgate that we don't know. Yeah, maybe about. recommendations. Yeah. I like that. See, either Give way, us some recommendations because we're pushing for tailgate tour season two next year. If you haven't heard yet. So tell us happen. why we should come to you. Yeah, I think it's going to happen. Uh, cannot wait for next year. And I know people on the West Coast are already like, are you coming out? Yes, we are. Yeah, there's a strong, strong chance that will happen. All right, Tristan Katzman, what's the non-quarterback trait that we find most difficult to scout on film? Ooh, man. Um, well, the one that you can't scout on film is character. Yeah, I, that was going to be my answer. I feel like that's a cheat. I think. Uh, yeah, it is a cheat. I'll, I'll go with something different. I think the safety position is getting harder to scout because of the spread offense in colleges, just like what guys are asked to do. So for me, it's like read and react ability and coverage, not against the run, but true, like over the top center field safety, uh, read and react. That's getting very difficult for me. I've said before, there are times where I'll watch 10 games trying to just get like 50 plays of a guy doing stuff. And it's like, oh my God, this is becoming harder and harder to do to find plays that that look like what you see on Sundays. I think a big one for me has become when you're watching a tackle that just doesn't face a lot of good pass rushers, it's hard to tell what kind of anchor they have. I mean, if they're facing these lollipop pass rushers, they might look like a shutdown premier left tackle or right tackle. And that's why going to the senior bowl and watching the one-on-ones or, you know, or talking to different scouts that have, you know, practice can tell you a lot and we don't go to practices, obviously. So I think that's quietly become one for me where I'm sitting there and I'm saying, you know, and here's a good example. Looking at Desmond Harrison at his West Georgia film. Yeah. You go, okay, it's West Georgia. And then, he, and then he can't participate in the Senior Bowl because he was like 285 pounds at the time, and he was hurt. So that those become really hard questions to, to answer when you simply don't have the sample size or the right sample in front of you. Yep, I absolutely agree. That's a great answer. All right, Anthony Magaluzzo, welcome back to the show, buddy. Oh, God. What are we to make of the Syracuse quarterback decision this week as we look to upset NC State and go bowling for the first time in five years? Oh, goodness. Uh, Well, I'll tell you this with Syracuse. I understand. And did they name DeVito the starter officially? I I believe they have. Okay. So I understand why they like DeVito as a passer. But as for as reckless as Dungy is, he's get he can win them games. It's ridiculous. I know. But it's it's absolutely absurd. I don't know. I. He's hurt all the time, but it's hard to not play Dungy. When you look at DeVito, though, actually, I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch next year as a full-time starter that, in the yeah. system. And I know that's he's, the key. he's also like one of their like the major recruits that they've landed since they've been there, so I think that plays yes. into it a little bit. From Bosco. Yeah, and always the most popular guy on the team is the backup quarterback. So, uh, and, you know, I was wrong. As of 
Tuesday morning, they have not named a starter. So uh, I guess we'll find out. But uh, it it's crazy, man, that, that you have a team that is playing really, really well and looking to upset NC State. We'll pick that game uh, for the Friday morning show, and uh, I actually don't know which of us will pick it yet, but I got a feeling we pick Syracuse, uh, whoever it is, because it's just, you know, the the way they've played this year and what they can do with some of those skilled players has been really nice. So whoever it is in their quarterback, I I think they're going to be okay. All right, this next one from Justin, the Barbell Tarbell. What do you see as the Eagles' biggest need in this draft? I think it's another receiver, and we kind of touched on that so Monday too. morning. Of this, uh, they've you know they poked around a lot of receivers in the trade deadline. I, I think that's that's where they're going to look to go. So whether it is a Marquise Brown or they look to go for a bigger guy like a an AJ Brown or Nikhil Harry, like they they want to get another receiver in there to round out what they have with Alshon and and what and Nelson Aguilar, who's been really really good as the last two years. So I, I think receiver is their biggest need. Yeah, I'm right with you there. I think go get Carson Wentz another weapon. You know, for as good as the rapport has been between him and Alshon, they could still use another guy. And I, I don't even think that actually might be a solid spot for Demarius Thomas, as crazy as it is. You're looking at a team that can obviously win now, and you're talking about a player that probably only helps you for another year or two. I don't think that would be... A, and they assume the cost is low. I mean, the cost should be, what, a third-round pick? Oh, yeah. That's, Maybe less. So Yeah. Yeah, all right. Last one. And one that we've, we've, I feel like we've answered a lot of questions like this, but Shane Merriman wants to know if you were Dwayne Haskins, would you declare this year to keep from being stuck in a draft class in 2020 with Jake Fromm and our boy Tua? Yes. Yeah. Same thing with Justin Herbert. Yeah. There's no way I would wait and have to deal with those guys. And then people are forgetting about Jacob Easton, who's going to start Washington next year. He's sitting out this year, transferred from Georgia. He was a five star quarterback in high school was very good his first year at Georgia, got hurt, and Jake Fromm comes in and is the man. So we can't forget about Jacob Easton. He's also a very good player. And uh, Hunter Johnson, who transferred from Clemson, will be at Northwestern That's next right. year. Like, he's another... I know me and you are usually the first to say, don't just buy into the five-star rankings, but those guys are talented players. So I would bet on what you know rather than what you don't. And I think what you know is if you're Dwayne Haskins and Justin Herbert... You're going in the top 50 of this year's draft, and you're probably going in the... If you're Herbert, you're probably going top 10. If you're Haskins, there's a lot left to be seen because he's only started so many games, and we've seen the highs and the lows. A lot of highs, though, for Haskins early on. Yeah. Where he's probably going top 40 because he's a tools guy. He's a talented player that a coach will say, hell, I'll try to develop him. Why not? So I I would leave if I was both of them. Yeah, I I absolutely would too. And I'm sure there are agents telling them the same thing right now of, you want to deal with these guys in next year's class or do you want to go make, you know, $12, $13 million and and get to play quarterback in the NFL and maybe get put into a situation where you do get to learn behind someone for a year, kind of like Pat Mahomes did. So, all right, man, that's our show for this week. Great, great time talking about the NFL trade deadline, ripping through the college football rankings. We had fun. Don't forget, leave that iTunes review. Either your dream top three tailgate locations or your recommendations of where we need to get out and tailgate next year. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, the Bleacher Report app, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you've subscribed so you get the downloads three times a week. For Connor, this is Matt. We'll talk to you guys Friday morning. 